Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hello and welcome to Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sergio Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today as always by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, NWSL analyst and broadcaster. On today's episode, we have a breaking news update segment for everyone. The investigation on former Chicago Red Stars head coach uh, Rory Dames has uh, come to light with uh, additional allegations uh, regarding the youth club system. And there is an update on Washington Spirit ownership. There is a lot to get through during these segments. But first, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter for all breaking news at Attacking Third. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Lisa, how are you doing? It almost sort of seems like we wouldn't see this type of day come for either. Maybe just for, we're breaking this down into two parts. We're going to do Chicago and then the spirit. But I mean that more on the spirit side of things in which we've been watching this ongoing saga of... Mm -hmm. uh, back and forth ownership and then uh, additional reporting coming out uh, with uh, coaching in the youth system and the problems that are are there at that level as well. It's not going to be an easy episode to get through by any means, uh, but I'm glad to be here uh, with you to yeah, chat about it all. I mean, yeah, I'm thankful I have you, right, that we can, I can bounce my thoughts and feelings off of it with you. Uh, we've had to do this a lot in the last few months. Um, and I don't want to say I'm getting used to it because I'm not, and I never will. But um, in terms of Washington spirit and their ownership conversation, we'll get to that, but it's about time. And then in terms of um, the, the new allegations and, and the new reports against former Chicago Red Stars head coach, Rory Dames, uh, shedding light on what is a very toxic youth system in America. And, and really that's what I want to talk about because, um, it's, there's a niche group of players that have played at the professional level, right? There's even, um, a, a bigger group, but still a small group of, of athletes that have competed collegiately, but, um, players that play at the youth level, especially soccer, it's such a youth driven sport. There's uh, almost everyone you speak with says, Oh yeah, I kicked soccer. I kicked a soccer ball as a little kid. That was my first team. I was five. I was green. So it's, it's much more common to have players at the youth level and to see that it's common that there could be abuse at the youth level is difficult to hear, difficult to talk about, but something that needs to be brought into the light and hopefully corrected sooner rather than later. Yeah, this additional reporting, right, coming um, out of the Washington Post, I guess we can start uh, for people who are new to this, perhaps, who are just jumping into this sequence of events um, to catch them up and bring them up to speed, perhaps. Uh, former Chicago Red Stars head coach, Rory Dames, did resign from his almost decade-long position 
with the club after a NWSL championship loss to the Washington Spirit in the 2021 final. Um, just to refresh folks' memories, uh, the resignation was issued in the middle of the night, uh, just maybe around 36 hours or so um, after the championship. And then uh, additional reporting uh, released from the Washington Post uh, that discussed and highlighted various misconduct uh Various types of abuse, whether it was verbal, emotional, um, verging on all kinds of inappropriate uh, behaviors in terms of relationships uh, between uh, player and coach. Uh, it was not an easy read for that type of reporting, which stemmed from a very specific timeline, um, kind of around 2016 and 2018 reports that were brought forth to U.S. soccer specifically. And that uh, ultimately those reports uh, fell on what was deaf ears in terms of players trying to bring these types of allegations forward uh, and then having that just sort of be accepted, uh, quite frankly, mm -hmm. part of the unfortunate status quo. So we're talking about reports as, uh, as recent as uh, 2018 uh, from a former player, a Red Stars player, and Chris Press directly to U.S. Soccer saying, I think that Rory emotionally abuses players. He doesn't have safe distance between himself and his player. He uses his power and status as the coach to manipulate players to get close to them. So a number of, of, of former Red Stars players and numbers of players in general sort of coming forth and putting themselves as uh, on-record sources uh, in initial reporting from the Post amongst a ton of other anonymous sources highlighting uh, the professional level, right? But this additional reporting that came alongside or just after that is really highlighting um, ongoing systematic issues within the youth level. And that is, uh, I think, what's probably the most disturbing angle, right, about this additional reporting uh, is that we're continuing to hear a specific line of behavior that went on for a very, very long time. And with this most recent reporting, um, it's highlighting things going as, as far back into uh, into the 90s. So it was a very, very difficult read, but it's uh, it's very recent because as uh, of our recording of this, it was published yesterday on uh, February the 8th. Yes, it's very important to kind of look back at the history of this and the context of it because he, he resigned in the middle of the night. The allegations and reports from 2014 and 2018 were released. And since late November, we haven't heard anything about the investigation of Rory Dames and, and what he's done. And, and he has such an empire or had such an empire in the youth system with Eclipse Soccer um, really controlling the Chicago suburbs of, of soccer players, uh, specifically young female players. Um, but just his control over the youth system dates back to 1996 when he started Eclipse and he started running this. And the fact that in, in the Washington Post investigative article that did come out today on Tuesday, February 8th, is that there are reports from decades ago 1998 is the very first report of any misconduct by Rory Dames. Um, I think that it's also 
kind of important to touch on as we go through these details that there are a lot of women that came forward and put their name on this and came out as sources to say, um, this happened to me and giving specific accounts and specific details of what happened. Because um, as the reports happened in 1998, nothing came of it. He continued to grow as this soccer God, in a sense, of especially the youth system. If if you grew up in Chicago and you had any desire of playing soccer past uh, the high school level, you needed to play for Rory Dames. You needed to play in Eclipse. Across the world, you needed to play in leagues like ECNL, which is a league that he started and he was a founding member of and he sat on the board of. So he had his hand in every single pot of the soccer world from youth levels all the way up to the collegiate levels. He could get players scholarships. He could get them division into division one programs. He could help them with signing professional contracts. He could help them get onto the U S national team at every different level from the youth teams to the senior teams. He had a say and he had influence in your soccer career if you played in Chicago. Um, And I think that's really like the terrifying thing of this is that he had so much power. And despite former players bringing that to the attention of local law enforcement in 1998, they did an investigation and they talked with over 150 of his current players. And ultimately they deemed that he was okay to continue coaching and to continue to gain power and continue to grow as a very powerful soccer person in and around Chicago, continuing to coach at Eclipse and continuing to coach young women um, and then moving up into NWSL. And after 1998, it wasn't really brought to the attention of public authority or law enforcement again until Kristen Press did that in 2014 and then again in 2018 and now in ultimately 20 at the end of 2021 and in 2022. So the gapping is devastating because this was happening that he never stopped. There was never a slowdown of his abuse and uh, his misconduct. I think that's part of what's what's so jarring, right? When you read the, these reports and when you sort of start looking at all of the correlation between um, the power dynamic that gets put in place, you just sort of witness time after time as, as, years went on just the uh the power infrastructure that ended up continuing to be built up around and centered around this specific person to continue to be able to sort of have this sort of ability to just freely come and go and perpetuate these types of behaviors in the open practically there's a there's a parent on record in this in this reporting, you know, and that is uh, that is part of what's so devastating in reading about this is that when you read with throughout all of these different reportings, whether it's people who are going on record or not, you can see and point out and look at all the different areas in which a lot of these children, because I think people are forgetting that their children uh, were failed Um And it starts in every area, whether it's within the youth club system, the coaches within that who continue to enable it, and the fact that there are parents who are at these games and are bearing witness to certain behaviors that are maybe unsettling to them, but still participating in this sort of 
kind of gross cash cow that's like in place when it comes mm -hmm. to youth club culture. I think it was important to know within this reporting, drawing those direct lines between them, how there are other NWSL coaches who have been publicly accused of abusive behaviors just last year, whether it was former head coach of the North Carolina Courage and Paul Riley or the former head coach of Washington Spirit in Richie Berg. You're talking about other coaches who had prominent places in youth club cultures. And then alongside with somebody who not in Rory Dames was head of a uh, head of eclipse. So reading all this is, it's devastating in a multitude of ways, but I think it's, it's particularly painful to know that children, young teenagers mm -hmm. were put through this um, to sort of read that uh, a grown adult man in his brain somehow found it acceptable to fat shame 10 year olds is mm -hmm. appalling, quite frankly. No one should do that to anybody. Um, you know, or, or, or say abusive things to anyone of any age. But the fact that somebody uh, created an environment in which that was accepted is absolutely devastating. It it really is. And it's it starts as fat shaming. Right. And knowing that as as a player, when you go to practice, if you um, don't play at your top level, if, if you were at Rory Dames practice and you didn't play at your top level, you were going to run. You were going to be screamed at. You were probably not going to play that weekend. There was a lot of terrifying um, reactions that would come if you didn't perform as he was expecting. And so it starts with with yelling and it starts with the, that verbal abuse in fat shaming 10 year olds. And ultimately it escalates and it grows. And that's where these stories really, um, that's what they told us. And that's what these women uh, talked about in this article and in this investigation that uh, one woman saying that um, he had an inappropriate relationship with her from age 14 until well into her college career. Uh, she actually called it grooming in, in a sense of uh, manipulating her and, and uh, convincing her that without him, she would be nowhere in her soccer career. Um, then when she turned 18, he used his power over her soccer career and, and his control over her to actually have sex with her. Um, as a former player, um, this is in the early 2000s. So this was happening for years and years and years. It's it, the fat shaming, the actual uh, abuse that came with the emotional abuse and the verbal abuse that happened. He would often make sexual jokes and comments about these young women that he was coaching these children, right? I mean, 14 years old, um, talking about their personal lives, asking about their boyfriends, bringing up the players' sex lives. Um, it, one player goes on record, former player saying that at practice, they were about to do a sprinting drill of fitness drill and he had all the players get on their knees and he made a, a snide comment at her saying, hey, I bet you know this position well, just uncomfortable situations. And she said, what do you do if I if I said anything about it, I wasn't going to play that weekend. And I was trying to play in college. I was looking to continue my soccer career. I couldn't say anything. And as a young female at 14, to have your coach saying that to you, it's embarrassing and it's uncomfortable. You don't want to tell your parents that. That's uncomfortable. And he knew the power that he had over these young 
women and these young girls to be able to control them in every aspect of their lives, sending them text messages late at night and instant messages at all hours of the day, telling them to come over, telling them to come to his apartment and join him, just completely inappropriate on every level that that he coached. You know, and it's it's jarring to sort of see that connection to the time that's passed, right? With mm-hmm. some of these sources putting their names to it, saying that they're almost 40 now or someone who's almost 30 now and et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on. I think someone was there was, I think, as young as 21 or 22. It, it's, it's, uh, it was something that was uh, ongoing, you know, and just sort of the fact that there were areas of this that uh, kind of happened out in the open, right? That there was an attempt at one point as early as the nineties to try to, you know, where some of these players try to almost protect each other and try to have an investigation, you know, go forth. Even, even then it just uh, paints a very stark and poor and sad and heartbreaking picture of the youth system in this country, quite frankly. Um, and just sort of knowing that there were additional coaches at one point in a league like NWSL who had these strong footholds in youth club soccer systems to be able to, you know, reach these types of levels. It's just uh, reading all through this almost sort of makes you feel like you're you're on a constant merry-go-round and you're wondering where you're going to when you're going to get out get off uh, or anytime so it's just like it's just ongoing um and i think within this reporting i think it's also very important to see the growth and the strength of these sources right mm-hmm. of these of these victims who are coming forth to do to put their stories on record i mean at, at one point you know referring to how these victims have the verbiage and they have the right words to be able to express, uh, you know, and detail uh, the abuses that they endured back then. Um, at one point saying like, I didn't, you know, these sources are saying I didn't have the, the appropriate words, but now I understand what was happening. It was, it was great. Yeah. You know, like, like in like part of them being able to come forth now is because of a lot of the societal efforts that are trying to be made, whether it's through investigative reporting like this or otherwise, uh, to highlight these very problematic systematic institutions. Um, So just knowing that we're coming off of a season, a year where you can literally name off and count out former coaches that have ties to youth club systems. It's uh, it's I think it's a level of reckoning that has almost long been been coming, you know, and just to sort of see it kind of come out. It's, it's painful every time you're, you're reading it, you're seeing it. Um, but it's uh, it's something that is unfortunately going to be a, a painful part of the process if those in the soccer space want this sport to continue to succeed in this, in this country. And the fact that there's a former players and victims who are willing to now in their adulthood, be Mm -hmm. able to talk about these things are, are such an essential part of that process. 
you mentioned um, uh, one of a mother, a parent of a player actually went on as a source in this article to talk about this. And I think that's really important to kind of uh, touch on because as a young player, it's hard to recognize when things maybe aren't correct. And, and these sources say that they say that they didn't know that it was that wrong. They just knew that they didn't like it, but no one else was saying anything. No one else was complaining. Their parents were at practice. Their parents were at games watching them, seeing this and not saying anything themselves. So as a young person, you don't always know that it's wrong. And so now to have these sources coming out in this investigation and sharing their horrible experiences that they were faced with, um, even though they are 40 now, they're 30, they're, they're looking back on their lives. I know one of the sources says that she has a daughter now and she can't imagine letting her daughter go through with that, being, being a witness to that and seeing that. Because if, if you know that your kid isn't playing on a weekend and you ask your kid what happened and they say, I don't know, I, I passed the ball wrong in practice. It's interesting. And there's different levels that need to be looked into at at that. And now that Uh, These former players have the strength and the words to come forward and to put phrasing on what they experienced and and give verbiage to the emotions, the shame, the uncomfortability that they felt as young players is very important because not a lot of people at age 14 know what grooming is, know that they can recognize it when they're in the middle of it, know that they can recognize verbal abuse, emotional abuse, manipulation, um, because they haven't experienced enough of life. And that's what he did. He did, he started coercing these players when they were young enough so that by the time they were 18 and 20 and playing at the collegiate level, he still had a control over them. Uh, so these players coming back and and being sources, even a former player's mom being a source in this is bringing a lot of light to the situation and hopefully giving current parents of youth players um, the verbiage to speak with their own children about their own experiences, because I think that's something that needs to happen. As horrible as it is to talk about all of this, to have the verbiage to understand this situation is important. Yeah. Also within this reporting, I think it's important to note that uh, U.S. soccer, it was reported within this same additional reporting about abuse within the the youth club level that U.S. soccer did uh, suspend Dames' licenses. Uh, I believe it was during the fall of 2021. Um, also of equal importance, I think, to to highlight the fact that since uh, the very curious uh, resignation in the middle of the night, there has not been any public facing uh, media availability from um, Chicago Red Stars. Uh, and I think a lot of people maybe learned about the fact that Dames' uh, license were even were suspended initially um, to, to begin with uh, from, from U.S. soccer. So there just hasn't been a lot of uh, any type of public facing anything regarding this when, when you're thinking about uh, the areas in which, you know, James obtained his licensing or uh, areas in which, you know, organizations that which he coached for, for a long time. And I'm sure that that's, um, 
you know, that that's something that uh, is, is perturbing, I think, in terms of public who find themselves as even just the casualist, you know, uh, most casual a fan of, of, of this uh, league and this uh, sport. So it's um, you just have to imagine that even with this type of additional reporting to any prior reporting, it almost still just sort of feels like um, as if this is just the beginning. You know, this is absolutely just one area of youth club soccer uh, in this country, of which there are many throughout the United States, you know. So if it's um, happening in the, in the Midwest, if we knew that, you know, based on, um, you know, head coaches, former head coaches like Paul Paul Riley or, or Richie Burke that's happening on the East Coast, I'm sure it's there's players with stories on, on the West Coast and other parts of this of this country. And um, it is just uh, absolutely heartbreaking again, that this is just something uh, that young children uh, go through when they're just simply trying to play a sport that they love. We have a, a lot more to, to get through. And if for whatever reason, if there is additional reporting uh, on this particular story or any other stories, we will do our best to keep our listeners updated uh, but in the meantime, we have to transition into some other very important news uh, affecting the NWSL. And we'll get into that right after a quick break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Other news that uh, came way on February 8th is uh, a bit of an ownership update for Washington Spirit. Uh, we've been talking a lot. About, we've been talking about the news that we're discussing on this episode, Lisa, and we're talking we're framing it in ways which it just sort of feels like we got to go back and do like a timeline or like a quick catch up of like what's happening. And when we were thinking about this, um, this final this sort of conclusion right to this to this ongoing reporting and that uh, why Michelle King will in fact uh, become the new owner of the Washington spirit. We still have to go back a little bit, even uh, with this one, because this is not something um, that came easily right by, by any means. No, this was a very long process with the Washington spirit, uh, the ownership saga, as we've been referring to it here at Attacking Third. I mean, months of infighting and, and power struggle between Washington spirit, then majority owner Steve Baldwin and founding owner Bill Lynch uh, with minority owner Y. Michelle Kang. Um, there's finally a resolution, but a, a little bit of background on this is the players were in support of Y. Michelle Kang gaining ownership, um, my majority ownership, if 
you're an owner of a club and you have majority ownership, you then sit on a, a board of the NWSL and you have voting power within the league and, and within your club, something that Washington Spirit was stripped of towards the end of the 2021 season because of this fighting and because of a lot of the miscommunication and things that were happening in the front offices at Washington Spirit. Uh, so why Michelle Kang was working to gain majority ownership uh, from Steve Baldwin and Bill Lynch. She put in an offer uh, for $35 million, which is a very high offer for an NWSL club, the highest by almost $30 million <laughs> for a club uh, that ultimately they turned down. They were looking at different owners and that was a little peculiar. Why would you turn down such a high offer for someone that has good intentions to own this club and to do good things with it? Um, but it is official as of Tuesday, February 8th, uh, Washington Spirit ownership have come to an agreement, a statement from the Washington Spirit says the owners of the Washington Spirit have agreed on a new ownership structure. Local business leader Michelle Kang will acquire the interests of other team owners, Bill Lynch and Steve Baldwin. Kang will be the controlling owner, working with other investors in new ownership groups. So Kang has voting power. She has a say in the league, something that has been really happening for months and months and months. There is finally a resolution on the ownership of Washington Spirit. It's probably over the course of the last four to five months, right? Yeah. There's sort of been this like real specific uh, interfighting between ownerships, uh, different ownership investors specifically, um, alongside of just all of the other things that this club was having to, to go through. At, at one point, we started to maybe sort of see the cracks, right, within things very, very early into maybe mid-season with disagreements around um, – you know, the, the head coaching and, and how an investigation um, was taking place around former head coach Richie uh, Burke uh, and sort of the handling of that, that there was intention to still retain this former head coach in some type of front office capacity. And then as more information started to surface around Burke and his own uh, abusive behaviors and the, creating a toxic environment in the training uh, trainings with the with the spirit started to come into light. Started to obviously bring into question um, the leadership of the majority owners in place so with with Bill Lynch and Steve Baldwin. As um, the connection was made, that Burke arrived to the spirit due to personal relationships uh, mm -hmm. that he had with these uh, now former owners. So we started to sort of maybe see the the cracks, right, of some conflicting uh, viewpoints, right, in terms of how the uh, club should be ran. And this was all in a year in which a lot of different smaller minority investors became a part of the Washington spirit um, ahead of that 2021 season. And then you add in the mix of all, obviously all the complications that came into play with um, that they had to deal with, like with COVID and having been, you know, having been issued forfeitures and then behind the scenes of all that was still a lot of inner fighting that ended up growing and growing and growing over time as you started to see the departures of other uh, women uh, who were in different pos uh, administrative positions um, with this club kind of make their exit as well. So it raised uh, a lot of red flags, right? And then all of a sudden, everything just started to get uh, very, very, very open in public in terms of 
that's uh, interfighting a lot. Of, uh, oftentimes, we saw different reports about emails being leaked and um, things like that. And then finally, I think it came the biggest the biggest pause. I think came was that you know the players uh, had a say yeah. on this at one point mid in, in the middle of their season. You know, in the in, in the middle of a playoff push, I should say, because it was really at the latter end of the of the season. But the players coming together and putting together a statement of their own. Um, in which they referenced why Michelle King specifically as uh, someone who they had trust in uh, to go ahead and lead the Washington spirit into, you know, a, a new era and calling for Steve Baldwin to uh, eventually sell those shares. But the interfighting continued. There was uh, there was an attempt to try to bring in another investor group to sell to uh, under undercutting uh why Michelle King's uh, uh, previous offer of $35 million, there was a lot of, of back and forth as those two specifically kind of went back and forth for, for control. But it started to really take a turn, Lisa, right, as we kept coming on these episodes to try to fill in everyone as best as we could. It seemed like it was changing every week almost. Uh, but King ultimately... Uh, works started working alongside other the other minority investors, all of these other smaller co-owners to essentially align themselves uh, with King. And, and was she was able to ultimately obtain voting control um, within uh, within the club. And that was uh, maybe a bit of the final chess move. Right. Maybe that sort of set into motion this this absolute final phase of, um, you know, becoming the new owner of Washington spirit um, because even though she was working with the uh, smaller co-investors at the time, there still had to be a meeting that was held with the NWSL board of governance. There was some, uh, there was a Baldwin who was calling into question the validity of uh, why Michelle King trying to <laughs> work alongside minority investors, you know, to, to, to try to obtain control of the cup. The, the club, excuse me. Um, but ultimately the NWSL board of governors said, Hey, you know what? This was a legal process. She has obtained, uh, the appropriate alignment with, uh, those minority investors. And it's actually in the hands of your own LLC at this point. Mm -hmm. And whatever comes to fruition, we will acknowledge that to be true. And so ultimately everything came to a head and it's, it's, it, it came, it was, it was a little, we were a little nervous still, even till this final moment, because we saw the release, we were like, okay, so she's acquired control. And then it isn't until later into the release where you see, in fact, Steve Baldwin quoted within this release saying, I spoke with Michelle this morning and I told her that Bill and I decided to sell her the team. Um, so that process is now coming to an end and why Michelle King is going to be the official owner of the Washington spirit moving forward. It, the back and forth was so much behind closed doors and maybe um, uh, unof unofficially, I'm going to say, just because it wasn't as legally as it could have been right from the very beginning. It, it's tried to be conversations of, listen, I have really good interests for this team and uh, the supporters group saying sell the team, Steve, and, and really almost why Michelle Kang and Steve Baldwin trying to work it out amongst themselves at first, which 
did not work at all. Ultimately, why Michelle Kang having to go to these other investors and say, listen, if you give me uh, voting power and voting control, I will make these decisions for this team and, and you can still be partial owners. But in order for her to get voting power, she needed to kind of gain the trust of other investors. And that's what she did, um, which, as you said, then it became like a legal thing on paper. And at that point, yeah. Steve Baldwin realized he didn't have any power anymore because legally she had done what she needed to do instead of buying it from him she had found power through the other investors and was able to gain their trust and and saying that uh their interests aligned with not only each other but also with the club and the players and then the supporters group and everyone of interest in the washington spirit and ultimately steve baldwin kind of had to accept his fate and say okay we will sell to you because he didn't want to sell to her that's what's so fascinating about all of this, that in the end, he still has to sell to her and, and give her power um, when, I mean, like looking at this as big picture, this could have happened months ago, but yeah. it, it didn't. There's a lot of back and forth, a power struggle of um, it, who has more power, who has more money. It was a lot going back and forth. And I mean, Hello, fans of the NWSL, please remember that throughout all of this infighting with the owners and the front office drama that was happening, the team on the field still went on to dominate the second half of the season to rip through the playoffs and win an NWSL championship at the end of all of this, which yeah. on paper, maybe it makes the team worth more, but no, the players were completely separate from the ownership throughout this year. And they did what they needed to do, crossing the white line, stepping onto the field. And every time we talked to the players about the 2021 season, they said that they needed to lean on each other uh, yeah. while still having Tori Huster midfielder for the spirit. And, and defender for the spirit who is head of the players association also fighting for a CBA that the league ultimately ratified right before the preseason. There's just so many different factors heading into this. The last thing they needed was their owners fighting over power. Uh, but in, in the end, the 2022 season is here. Uh, why Michelle Kang has voting control and full majority ownership of the Washington spirit, which is something that the players wanted and and we are here yeah i uh it's so wild just sort of even like hear you like reflect back on that it's just like uh, somebody someday is gonna do it i, I i'm absolutely gonna be sitting down with a bowl of popcorn when the washington spirit saga comes to 30 for 30 or whoever right like i just i will absolutely like sit down and watch it i think another point of interest um you know in this in this announcement that this is officially happening that this is officially in motion and going through for new ownership for the spirit is that there's already uh King is already implementing her her vision for the future yeah. of this of this franchise uh, and saying that they're looking forward to an exciting new chapter, that there's already a vision in place and that they're giving it a slogan, calling it premier, professional and proudly D.C. with a locally based female led ownership group that is committed to substantial new investments into the team's staff operations and infrastructure. So it's going to be, I think, something that we still keep. And Ion, because this is um this is a little bit historic, right? This is a little bit groundbreaking in that um, you know, a, a 
a non-white woman is coming into uh, predominant majority ownership of an NWSL club and is in doing so is absolutely reshaping the landscape of mm-hmm. what it means and what it looks like and how that and how ownership uh, is defined and like in looks moving forward so i think that's um something big that we're gonna have to keep um you know an eye on and sort of seeing how the spirit continue to to navigate uh this this space and nwsl moving forward I think that's exactly right. We will have to look at that and kind of see what adjustments happen. But I mean, so much news happening today on this February 8th and and we're in the start of the 2022 preseason. Um, A lot of different changes, but we're going to power through, right? We have a season ahead of us. We have a lot of players to watch and to cheer for throughout this year. Um, Let's hope that all this drama is in the past. We'll see. We'll see what's going on. I mean, uh, we absolutely have been trying our best to to keep up to date with it, right? Keep our listeners up to date with it as best uh, we can. Because again, it almost feels like there's there was something um, continuously ongoing with with this uh, with this story uh, throughout 2021 and now even into to 2022. But like you said, it is officially preseason, and that is uh, the mode that we are also on at attacking third. So we want to thank everybody for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at attacking third for more news. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere to listen to your podcast shows. You can leave us a five star review on Spotify now. And if you have any questions for us, you can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts with your question. And Lisa and I will answer it during our mailbag segment. We're also available as videos. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Visit youtube.com slash attacking third. And we'll be back on tomorrow with more team by team previews across NWSL for Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman. This was attacking third. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.